Good evening. So nice to be back. Um, let's begin as we should in all things in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Good and gracious God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this day, for all the many blessings that you bestowed upon us in our lives, especially those that we don't recognize. We give you praise and thanksgiving for this evening. We pray that you may open our hearts, our minds, and our very lives to a deeper understanding of our relationship with you as we open up to ourselves anew the virtues that you seek to bestow upon us to help us to embrace. We pray that through this time of learning and growing, you may help us to see you more clearly, know you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. We pray for all of our students and class, both of our adults and our young people, and all of our catechists, that you may continue to watch over us, help us to live out the virtues that we are called to embrace in word, action, and deed. Help us this evening to put behind us all of those distractions that we have in our lives, to focus on you and what it is that you are seeking to teach each and every one of us through this time together. We ask all these things as we pray through the intercession of your Son in the perfect prayer that he offers to us as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, we're back. We've got classes. Um, thank you so much, Kirk, for pinch hitting for me these last two weeks. Um, it was a whirlwind of a trip. If you didn't follow it on Facebook, you didn't miss much except for literally everything that could have gone wrong in the last two weeks almost did. So we all got to Berlin on the right day. We all got back. Four people got COVID. Bags got lost. I left my phone somewhere. I left the missile for mass somewhere. But ultimately, everything was found except for Father Carl's bag. So prayers that Father Carl Janoka, who was one of our former pastors, may eventually get his suitcase that didn't get to us on the trip. Um, thank you for all of the people that were praying for us along the way. I do not have COVID. I never had COVID. But um, this last weekend, um, I got two phone calls on Saturday morning saying, hey, Father, I tested positive this morning. Um, and so just out of an abundance of caution um, and prudence, one of the virtues we'll get to later in the semester, one of the cardinal virtues, um, I figured it would be probably be best for me to not be at Mass this last weekend in case I did develop COVID, because as you guys know, I always have a cough. And so what is one of the symptoms of COVID? A cough. It's like, well, is it a COVID cough or an allergy cough, Father? <coughs> it's a cough. I don't know. Um, and so um, thank you guys for uh, welcoming Father Simeon back home. I talked with him yesterday. He said, yeah, it was kind of weird. I had 75% of my family was there, or 75% of the people that were here this weekend, our family, some way, shape, or form, it's like, oh, I know. It, it, it's always interesting. Like, no, it was good. Um, so, so I did love the fact that he, he opened up, that he talked about his grandfather and said, every time you check your watch, another 10 minutes in the homily. 
So you must have only checked it once because it was only a 15-minute homily. So I did watch it on Sunday. Just be like, okay, how's it going to throw me under the bus? Father just wants an extra week off. Yeah, it happens. No. Um, so thank you guys for uh, keeping us in prayers. Um, you know you guys went along with me um, on this journey as well. Um, I made sure at every place that we went to on this pilgrimage um, to pray for you guys. Uh, because everything that we do in our lives is meant to truly focus on the Lord. And so this year, as we talk about the Catholic virtues, tonight's going to be kind of an introduction class to what are virtues, how do we embrace them, a brief outline of the theological and cardinal virtues, the seven virtues that we'll really focus on this year, that then we'll break up, open into in the spring, adding some of the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. These big terms that we heard a lot about many times as kids or when kids or when we came into the church through RCIA, that are so distant in our mind, we're like, yeah, I've heard of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Name one. Yeah, I've heard of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Name one. The cardinal virtues? The theological virtues? Now, the theological virtues are ones that we should have heard of, because I preach about them all the time. I just don't call them the theological virtues. Um, So we'll talk about those a lot. But before we get started, um, I want us to begin with Scripture. Um, Scripture is truly the Word of God. Um, I can remember in seminary always being upset at God because I wanted that great sign from God that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is why I'm supposed to be here. Speak to me. As I've said before in homilies, I just wanted a, this is the voice of God. That's all I wanted. Didn't have to say anything just to me. Danny. That was it. But I never got that. And so I was upset with God. Lord, why won't you speak to me? And it was in the midst of a seven-day silent retreat, which was the worst week of my life, because silence and me do not go hand in hand. But in the midst of that seven-day retreat, the Lord did speak to me. Not how I was looking for it, but in the way that I needed to hear it. And he said, look here, dummy. I've given you 72 books of my word, 73 books of my word. Listen to it, live it, preach it. And that we truly believe that the word of God, scripture, is God speaking to us. And so today I want us to break open Philippians chapter 4, where he talks about joy and peace. And St. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, then the God of peace will be with you. And so I think when we look at virtue, when we look at the virtues, this fourth chapter of St. Paul to the Philippians 
really kind of offers us an insight to what it means to be virtuous. As I wrote in the Bulletin article this last week, um, I had to practice virtue in a way that I thought was never possible this last few weeks in traveling. I love to travel. I post pictures, and just like anything else that goes on social media, you saw all of the beauty. There was a lot of disaster behind the scenes. But in the midst of all of that disaster, we had this ongoing theme, God will provide. That in that mantra, in that motto that we kind of incorporated and embraced in our pilgrimage, it helped us that no matter what stumbling block came across our paths, what obstacle stood in our road, what flight got delayed, what thing got lost, God would provide. And so when we look at virtue, I think that's a great way for us to start to shape how we look at how we are called to live as virtuous people. Because it's not going to be perfect. If you're a virtuous person, that doesn't mean that poof, everything is perfect. It just means poof, you learned how to deal with everything. This too shall pass. And when we truly embrace that and believe it, it makes it easier for us to kind of dip our toes in the water of virtue. Because we all have bad days. We all have obstacles in our lives. We all have people that drive us crazy and things that we can't control. But at the end of the day, how do we, as St. Paul said to the Philippians, give praise to God? Well, let's look at the word virtue. Again, I'm going through this book that I posted on our Facebook page a couple, couple months ago, The Catholic Virtues, Seven Pillars of a Good Life by Mitch Finley. Um, and, and so I'm going to really talk about the introduction today and really kind of break open um, and just kind of introduce the theological and cardinal virtues and a very big overscope today. And we'll break more into those as we go um, deeper into uh, the fall and spring courses. <clears throat> so virtue means manly. The Latin virtus literally translates as manliness. And that's interesting when we look at our culture and society today because we don't want to have manliness. We want to have equality. That there aren't manly virtues and there aren't womanly virtues. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. We have Nike commercials. We have all of these things trying to say that men and women are the exact same. We're not. And that's okay. There's a blessing in our individuality. There's a blessing in our ability to be different. Some of us will make great parents. That's why you're here. You're seeking to take what you have learned and to share it with your children. Not saying that those that aren't here aren't grandparents. I'm not saying that. But how do we continue to grow in our manliness and our womanliness? We continue to seek to grow in virtue. Virtue refers to moral strength regardless of sex. It has to do with our inner character and the capacity to live what we say we believe. Put in layman's terms, practice what you preach. How many times have we said, I don't want to go to Mass because that priest, that deacon, that RE director, that office manager, that so-and-so says one thing and does something completely different? We've been there before. I know I've been there my, my own in my life to where I even said to a priest, if this is what a priest is, I want nothing to do with it. Because I couldn't see what it was he was trying to show me. My sin and my vices got in my way. 
I couldn't see. The priest was trying to show me that I wasn't perfect. He was instead saying, Danny, you're a little slow sometimes. Slow down. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have everything. You don't have to figure everything out. Yes, I paid attention to that Philippians reading where it says, Be anxious about nothing. Have you met me, Lord? I'm anxious about everything. But why am I anxious? It's because I struggle in virtue. I struggle to see and trust and believe at times in my life. Because many times when we grow in faith, we can't leave at the door our past lives, our past experiences, the things that we've done wrong, the things that others have done wrong to us. And so it becomes hard at every moment then, and at some moments more than others, to truly be a person of virtue because fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You can get it past me once, but if I allow myself to be duped again, that's my fault. Dupe me, O Lord. I've allowed myself to be duped. The Lord doesn't dupe us. He shows us the truth. The problem is many times when we are presented with the truth, when we are embracing something other than that in our sin and in our vices, It makes it harder for us to live our faith, harder for us to practice our faith. And so virtue really gets back to, for a lack of a better way to say it, always let your conscience be your guide. I don't know about you, but I loved Pinocchio growing up. I was terrified of Stromboli and not just the food, but the person from Pinocchio. Because I lied a lot as a kid. And what happened when Pinocchio lied? Not only did his nose grow longer, he grew donkey ears and a donkey tail. I don't want to look like a jackass. But that's what our sins do to us before the Lord. And before others who are seeking to be virtuous, when we aren't embracing those virtues when we aren't being authentic to who God is calling us to be, we many times look like a donkey with a long nose. And so when we don't practice what we preach, when we aren't authentic, we aren't truly embracing that moral strength that God is seeking to have us embrace. A virtuous person is one who is capable of embracing life and living it to the full. The world would say, oh, we got this. YOLO. For those of us who are older, you only live once. YOLO. So do it today. Or for those that grew up in the 80s, seize the day. But in a negative fashion. That's how the world would have us live it. How Christ is calling us to live virtuously is to truly seize the day that if today is your last day, what have you left unsaid, what have you left undone that needs to be said, that needs to be done, why are you waiting? Or as the Benedictines would have said from the 6th century when St. Benedict brought it to us, to live always with death before your eyes. How do we seek our deaths In a world that sees death as an inevitability only for those who can't pay for life. 
Death is the worst outcome in the world possible. I hate to tell you this, it's the outcome for each and every one of us. Some of us younger, some of us older, but outside of taxes, it's the only inevitability that we have in life. And so how do we see in it something to embrace in a positive sense? As the oxymoron goes, the thing that we dread the most leads to the thing that we long for the most, or should long for the most as Catholics and Christians. The only way to heaven is to die. So what does Satan do? He juxtaposes the highest of highs with the lowest of lows and says, you don't want to die. Now, we don't want eternal death, that is true. I don't want eternal death. I don't wish it upon my worst enemy. I may wish they may have a lesser eternal life. That's not healthy either. But I would never wish eternal death upon any person. Why? Because God loves me despite my imperfections. How can I look at anyone else's imperfections as worse than my own? That's when Pope Francis comes and says, who, do you, who am I to judge? That's the reference that he's using in that capacity. Not to give the YOLO experience of, oh, you can do whatever you want to. Don't worry about it. It'll all be okay. No, that's society and Satan wrapping up the reality that is around us and saying, do whatever you want to. Because it's all going to turn out okay. In 2022, I can tell you, it's not all right. It's not turning out okay. We are surrounded by death, destruction, chaos, war, violence, greed, pride, so much so that we are turning a blind eye to it. We saw the hurricane that happened in Florida this last week. When was the last time we prayed for them? Did we lift them up in prayer? Did we say, oh, I'm glad it wasn't us in Oklahoma this time? out of sight, out of mind. I have to admit, it was very much on my mind because we were flying through Atlanta and it was a, please let us get home (laughs) as it's coming through. But I also had in the forefront of my mind, my brother lived in Tampa. Now he lives in um, Melbourne, Florida. So I went from one coast to the other. And it was a, hey, are you okay? (laughs) But I have to admit, in my own craziness of life, I haven't prayed for the victims of that hurricane as much as I should. I haven't prayed for the victims of the violence in war, not just in Ukraine and Russia or or the upheaval that's happening in Iran right now that I just heard small news articles about. But why don't we embrace that prayer more? It's because we're so focused on what's right in front of our nose, that long nose of Pinocchio, (laughs) that we don't see sometimes what's happening in our periphery. And in our periphery, that's where we're called to be virtuous, to be able to embrace not only our own lives, but the lives of those around us and how what we do affects them and what they do affects us. Virtue insists that the only genuinely virtuous person is capable of enjoying life. The only way to truly, authentically, fully enjoy life is to embrace virtue. 
We've heard that before. Time, money, stuff. The more of it you have, we think intellectually, the happier we'll be. But when we look through history and see those that have a lot of stuff, and we wonder why they aren't happy, we have to go back and say, where was virtue in their life? Where was love, joy, hope, peace, faith, fortitude, strength? Where were these things in their life? Well, they weren't there because they just had a bunch of stuff. Well, maybe that's why we aren't at peace. Because we aren't truly embracing the life that we are called to live. Because the virtuous person, though, finds the mystery of joy and love in all created things. Not just in the things that we like. Not just in the people that we like. How do we have joy for those that get what we want? For instance, if you're up for a promotion and the person next to you is up for the same promotion, how do we find joy in our loss and in their gain if they win it? One of the movies I watched on the airplane on the way over to Germany actually highlighted this. Bruce Almighty. Love that movie. First of all, because you've got Morgan Freeman playing God and he's just a classic God-type voice. He's got that deep voice that I can't even try and fake. But in that movie, Bruce becomes envious and jealous of Evan. Why? Because he got the promotion that was due to me. And so what does he do? He rages and rails against God. Smite me, almighty smiter! I am like an ant on an anthill, and you are like a bully kid with a magnifying glass just seeking to destroy me harsh words. We may not use that same analogy, but how many times do we get mad at God for not giving us what we deserve? Praise God he doesn't. Because we do not deserve what we think we deserve. We each deserve eternal punishment, not love, joy, faith, hope, and peace. He doesn't give us what we deserve. We aren't due, we don't deserve anything. But instead, how do we look at those who have and say, thank you, Lord, for blessing them. Thank you, Lord, for giving them this ability to do something great, even when I don't have that opportunity. How do we look at our brothers and sisters who financially, um, familially, whatever it may be, are prosperous. I tend to think of families who struggle to bear children in this thought. In our world today, where life is seen as a burden, do we remember the families that have struggled to bear children that have had miscarriages? After miscarriage, after miscarriage, after miscarriage, are doing everything in their being to be able to extend the size of their family for the glory of God, and they just can't bring a child to term. Now look at these families that have five and ten and fifteen kids. Now that was a generation ago for most of them. A couple nowadays still have five and ten kids. I mean, how many kids did you have? Thirteen. 
proof. But how do we see in that sorrow for ourselves the joy for the others? God, thank you for blessing them with this child in this life. But also in our loss, how do we see the gain of the Lord? This is one of the things many times that we miss with couples that suffer miscarriages. As Catholics, when does life begin? Conception. When does life end? Death. Natural death, yeah. So if you have conceived a child, you have birthed a child into creation. Even if you never see that child face to face, you with your spouse, hopefully, have brought a life into creation. How do you thank the Lord for that life that never was able to live in this life, but is able to live eternally in heaven? Again, that's where virtue comes in. It changes our perspective from what's in front of us to what is above us. When we seek to live virtuously, we see the good in everything, even those things that are painful. Because yes, miscarriage, abortion, those are painful things that nobody talks about, but I guarantee you are happening each and every day. I've learned more in the last five years about miscarriages than I thought were even possibly there. On average, about one in every three couples, at least, has a miscarriage. At least one. Didn't have a clue. I thought it was like one in a million, one in a billion. And as I go through ministry, I find out that it happens more and more and more in trying to help families grieve the loss of that child. How do we see in the midst of this loss a gain for the body of Christ? And then I remembered the first time that our family talked about my mom's miscarriage. There's a big gap between number three and four that were born, about seven years, because mom had a miscarriage. And it took us until dad's headstone arrived back in December of 2020, as we were there praying at his grave, for us to say, Lord, thank you for giving us the child that we never knew. We pray that that may be the first face dad sees when he's welcomed into heaven. And of course, <laughs> I mean, because how do you not get emotional about that, right? But how beautiful is it that every child that we never meet, whether through miscarriage, whether through SIDS, whether through abortion, is a child still loved by God and an intercessor in the faith for us. I many times intercede through my dad that I believe is in heaven, but also through my brother or sister that I finally call Charlie because Charlie can be a boy's name or girl's name. It works out. Charlie Grover, I think it's a fun name. So Charlie, watch out for dad. Charlie, watch out for us. Pray for us, because we believe in the mystical body of Christ that we are called to intercede for each other, to pray for each other. And the saints, those in heaven, can speak to the Lord on our behalf. 
So if you know of someone or you yourselves have had a child you've never met, a child that's gone before you in heaven, first of all, thank God for that life. But secondly, if you're struggling in that grief, what better thing to do than to ask for their intercession to bring you peace, you know? But that, again, is seeking to find the mystery of joy and love in all created things, not just the things that are easy. It's easy when I win the lottery to be joyful and happy. Haven't done it yet. But when it happens, believe me, you'll know. Woo! Bless you. Because basically all my bills are paid at that point. Cars paid off. Pay off all the siblings' cars, all their loans. Pay off anything we want to do at the parish. Because if I win the lottery, it's going to be like half a billion dollars. That's the only time I play. Bless you. The diocese is going to get a new building. The church will get new stuff. Whatever parish I'm at at that point, when I finally win the lottery, not if, when, I finally win the lottery, we will never want for money ever again. $120 million into a grant to endow the parish forever. But until that day, I have to be realistic that it probably won't happen. And so how do I then see in others' fortune a blessing for them? How do I see in other parishes that are growing, that have, man, just kids coming out of the wazoo, how do I see in that, man, that's great, instead of a, why do I suck? Why aren't people coming here? One of my biggest struggles, and I talk about this a lot in homily, so I don't feel like I'm opening up too much, is I struggle with a self-defeatist attitude. And I take everything very personally. So if something is going wrong in the parish, I take personal responsibility for that. If our kids aren't showing up, I say, Father, what are you doing wrong? What have you done that have led these kids away? Now, what's interesting is I've done nothing. But how many times do we as parents, godparents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, ask ourselves that very same question and place that same blame on ourselves? Why aren't my kids in church? Well, if you can control it, control it. Do something about it. But if you can't, pray. Offer assistance where you can. This last week, um, Monday and Tuesday, we had a priest convocation um, where we're talking about vocations and how to foster vocations in our parish. And based on the size of our diocese, we need to have 10 new guys going to seminary every year, five guys get ordained every year to keep a status quo. We don't have that right now. We've had three classes of five men in the last 25 years. That statistically, every priest, if I bring one man to the altar through vocation to getting ordained every 13 years, I've secured my spot. Which in 52 years of service as a priest, God willing, four men, that's my goal, four men. It's hard to look at that number as a positive though. Because I look at the seven years I've been ordained and say, only four? In our parish, I can see at least that many already. This is my third assignment. 
but I can only do so much, as my parents could only do so much, as my pastors could only do so much to lead me and guide me. In fact, I put out on Facebook yesterday um, a quote that came from that talk yesterday that really just hit me between the eyes. We always ask ourselves, why do our children leave the church? We forgot that we never had them in the first place. It's like, ooh, that's hard. Our children don't leave the faith because they weren't really practicing it in the first place. Yeah, they'd show up, but our kids show up to school too. How many of them fail out of school and we just kind of let it go? About half as many as leave the church and we just let it go. It's an interesting statistic. So I had one family actually that posted on my page of, hey, I'm going to ask my kids that very question. It's like, ooh, I'm looking forward to this. She's a 23-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 15-year-old. Two boys and one girl. All of them have now been confirmed. And they all had kind of the same thought in mind of why people stay and why people leave. And basically everything they said is like, preach! <laughs> it's exactly what I believe. For those that have stayed, these three and others in their area, they had close families. Their parents made them go to Mass even if they didn't feel like it. It's like, ooh, yeah, been there, done that. They had close friends that were Catholic and practicing. It's like, ooh, that'd be cool. One of them even went as far as to say, you emulate the people you hang out with. Basically, if you have a bunch of apples, we've talked about this in the office before, if you've got a barrel of apples and you throw a bad apple in there, what's going to happen? All of them are going to rot. Works that same way in the faith. How do we then surround ourselves by good Catholic families? We've got to start at home first. The best thing I could think to do to do that is offer these classes. Now, I know we have some parents that are watching at home. Praise you for being there. I'm appreciative of it. We've got 170 to 180 kids down the hall. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine parents here. Nine families. Statistically, that's about right. It's the 90-10 rule. 90% do 10% of the work, 10% do 90% of the work. How great would it be if every week for the rest of this year we had one additional family? So that by the end of the school year, because that's how I think, because I'm still in school brain myself, we had 20 families that had kids down the hall in here every week. That doesn't seem like too much, right? For the families that are here, invite someone next week. And if of the nine of you guys invite someone and one of them comes, see that as a success. But that means you've got to do the work. Each and every one of you. Because, as I've said before, unfortunately, I, as Father Danny, can only do so much. I can put out an invite. And we have people that are here, and I'm appreciative of that. The people following us online. In fact, Father Titus, <laughs> who was my associate at Corpus Christi, posted, I'm going to share it at Corpus Christi and St. Robert Bellarmine. So we've got other parishes following us right now, too. Awesome! But how do we keep our kids in the faith? We have to find 
joy in loving all things. Because we're going to have days that just suck. I'm telling you, people came to me and said, Father, you are so positive. I said, obviously, you haven't been in my office lately. Because Amy would be like, nope. <laughs> I love you, Father, but nope. But the post that I put out on the travel to Germany, and I'm only talking about this because it was that incredibly book-written, movie-written over this crazy, you couldn't make up how crazy it was to get us all there on the right day. But God worked miracles, and I'm not saying that lightly. 21 people to get from Oklahoma to Germany, God worked miracles. Sunday evening, I know I'm going off topic, we've got plenty of, of weeks. Sunday evening before the trip, I get a phone call from my aunt, who's going on the trip and saying, hey, did Father Carl call you? No, why? Um, you might want to check our flights. First to fly out Monday morning at 11 a.m. Delta canceled our flights on Monday, rescheduled them for Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., so instead of getting into Berlin on Tuesday at noon, getting in Thursday at 2 o'clock in the morning. Missed the first two and a half days of our trip. It's like, oh, geez. So I call our travel agent and say, hey, I know it's a Sunday. What do we do? He said, get to their airport as quick as you can tomorrow morning. I left here at 3 a.m. Monday morning. Got to the airport desk at 4.50 a.m. God's not up that early. My alarm was set today for 4.15 p.m. to make sure I was up for class. Got there, worked for three hours with some of the best people I have ever met at a, an airport. I can't praise, I, I, I'm, this isn't a political notion, but Delta, thank you. <laughs> they went above and beyond, but in three hours we couldn't get any further 7.50, still didn't have any flights. Well, we found out that our travel agency was then trying to do things behind the scenes. We stopped for a couple hours. 10 o'clock comes up. Again, our, light, our flight is 11.05 at this point. I've learned something new about travel. You have to have the bags checked 30 minutes prior to the departure time or the bags don't make the flight. So again, 10 o'clock, 11.05 flight. 10.15... We finally find a solution. We have 20 minutes to get everybody ticketed, everybody's bags checked, everybody through security. I literally call everybody up, sit there, be quiet. When I call your name, have your passport, have this, get it done. They went through and like performed magic on these computers to try and get all of these tickets switched over and put through instead of going through Amsterdam as we had planned, going through Paris. I hate Charles de Gaulle in Paris, but going through Paris. All of this happened because our original flight from Amsterdam to Berlin was canceled. Who knew the Queen's funeral was the day we were flying? They canceled 100 flights. It's like, well, crap. Yeah, Amy did. Yeah, thanks. I didn't until, it's like, oh, geez. So we finally get 18 of the th 21 on the flight. They're down to, like, literally counting down the seconds to where we can't do this. Like, I'm on the phone with our travel agent, and he's like, Father, we've got a backup just in case. I tell the lady at the desk, stop. We've got a backup plan. We've got these 18 through. Thank you. 
Two and a half hours later, finally get the backup plan for myself, my mom, and my aunt. But we got those 18 on the original flight, only delayed it nine minutes, to Atlanta. Then once I got in Atlanta, they had, I think it was like 40 minutes, to get from one terminal to the other with terminals down. And you guys know how some of these international terminals are. The, tr- the train wasn't working, and Father Carl was like trucking, and they put him in a wheelchair, and he got there. So they made it to Atlanta, got on their flight from Atlanta to Paris before we even got on our first flight from Oklahoma City to Atlanta. So, part one, they're internationally on their way to Paris. Praise God. We finally get a flight at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Again, what time did I get the airport? 4.50 in the morning. So I've been sitting in this airport terminal for 11 hours by the time we finally get through. As soon as we got through security, it's like, I need a beer! Went to the local pub. I think I actually went to Freddy's and then didn't actually have a beer, but that's okay. But it was like, this is, if you ever needed one ever, this is the time. Didn't. It worked out. Got on the flight to Atlanta. Again, they're halfway there. We get to Atlanta. We make our connector. Awesome. But Atlanta, <laughs> flight agents cannot be easy jobs. I, I cannot even imagine. So flight gets in on time. Something happened on the flight before us. I don't know if someone got sick, if someone pooped in the wrong place, whatever it was. Like an extra hour of them having to properly clean and sanitize the plane. And he gave us like a play-by-play. It was like a 23-year-old kid. So here's, where, here's the update on our flight. It's like, dude, just, just be quiet, man. Because every time you, you say something, all I want to do is say, just get us on the plane. Because we only had about an hour and a half layover in Amsterdam. We got delayed an hour. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, we're going to get to Amsterdam. We get to Europe. We will take a plane. We'll take a train. We'll take a bus. We're going to get to Berlin. It's going to happen. So as we're flying over, I turn on my Wi-Fi texting. And somehow, it allowed me to text my sister, who was in the front group, and another group named WB, who was in the front group as well. So I'm texting them as we're somewhere over Scotland. I don't even know at this point. Two or three o'clock in the morning, and they've landed. They can't find Father Carl. Eight of the 18 that landed in Paris, 14 of them made the flight to Hamburg. It's like, okay, what about the other four? We're working on that. Now, gotcha. What about the other four? Like, who are the other four? Who's leading this? What's going on? Well, 14 of them are at, at this time again on the, on the flight from Paris to Hamburg. Four of them get left behind. Father Carl got in a wheelchair because it's just easier to move him that way when it gets to, he's getting older. And so he goes and sits at the gate thinking that his ticket was changed, like the other three people's tickets changed. <clears throat> it wasn't changed. So the second flight from Paris to Hamburg had three of the four people that didn't make the first flight because Father Carl goes up, gives them, a, gives them their ticket. He's like, um, sir, this, this flight took off two hours ago. Well, he told me, yeah, he was wrong. So those three then fly to Hamburg. Father Carl is stuck by himself in Paris. Luckily, they got his flight changed. They got him on a flight. So, again, this is all while I'm traveling internet over the craziness. I can't do anything. Feel hopeless. Feel lost. We finally land in Amsterdam. (laughs) Found out that the 14 made it to Hamburg. They're taking a bus from Hamburg up to Berlin. 
with our tour director. The other four, the other three, had just landed in Hamburg. They were then going to wait for Father Carl to land in Hamburg, and they were going to take a train. Remember that old movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Germany. So they got to uh, Hamburg eventually, and they, they took a train up. How they got there? Grace of God. We, however, got to Amsterdam in enough time to make it to passport uh, security, and it's like, huh, our gate just closed. We are not making our flight to Berlin. Well, crap. At that point, slow down. I got to go to the bathroom because it's me. So stop, go to the bathroom, go through passport protection, security, go immediately to the Delta gate and say, yeah, we missed our flight. What happened? Do you really want to know the question of what happened? No, we don't want to know. Okay, we're good. Of course, I'm flying in collar the whole time because pilgrimage. And so we get there. They get us on a later flight from Amsterdam to Berlin. Um, but again, our flight is delayed there as well. We finally get to this flight, and they're like, okay, well, we're going to let you guys on the airplane. Get on the airplane. I've never heard this before in my life, and I posted this on social media. We got on the flight. Only time the whole trip we had to wear masks. We get there, and the pilot comes out of the cockpit. Good afternoon. Here's the situation. It's like, oh, crap. Seriously, you can't make this up. Here's the situation. So Berlin is so backlogged on flights, we had hoped that by boarding you, someone would miss their flight and that we'd be bumped up in order. That didn't happen. But since you're already on the flight now, we're going to keep you here. And hopefully, in the next hour, we'll be able to get off the ground. Got off the ground in an hour, got to Berlin. By the time we landed in Berlin, the first bus had gotten to our, to our hotel. We had then taken a taxi to our hotel. The train was on its way to the hotel, and by the grace of God, we all made it the right day. Why do I tell that story? A, because it is a crazy story. B, because for the first time in my life, I knew what it meant to embrace virtue that I was putting out on social media how crazy this was in kind of a, I can't control this, Lord, you're in charge. If this pilgrimage is going to happen, it's on you. I finally knew what it meant to be a person who found mystery in joy and loving of all God's created people. When I got to the airport at 4.50 in the morning, I expected to play the manager card. Let me talk to your manager. Nope, I don't want to talk to you. Let me talk to you. I expected to get violent. I expected to get loud and use words I shouldn't use as a priest. Everybody was amenable the whole time. They're like, Father, we are so sorry this is happening. Anything we can do to help. I mean, they literally spent time on hold with me talking about, of course, the gate agent that we got that first day. He used to teach at Christ the King in Oklahoma City. He's a Catholic. And so it's like, okay, you send me a Catholic here. Flight attendant that I'm telling the craziness on on our international flight. She's a Catholic from Dallas. So we're talking about it with her too. And she's like, oh, Father, we'll pray for you on our trip. And you pray for us on your trip. So all of these things worked out that we needed. We got to be exactly where we needed to be, when we needed to be there. And I saw in that moment the truth of that statement, God will provide. Nowhere close to how I thought it was going to happen nowhere close to how I wanted it to happen. 
But we began our journey as pilgrims in faith, and the Lord provided. That in every interaction, people couldn't really realize how crazy it was to get us there. The fact that we made it through all of those different ways, and we got there on the right day. I'm telling you, it's nothing but a minor miracle. And that may seem petty, but no, like for everything to line up how it did with how crazy our travel is right now, at one point they were saying, we can get you out on Thursday. I'm not sitting in the airport for 72 hours. We're going to get there today. Now, I understand that, sir, but we get piecemeal us. Put us in four different groups. Now, little did I know when I said put us in four different groups that that's how God would do it 12 hours later. But we got to where we needed to be when we needed to be there. And yes, there were ups and downs and twists and turns and Four people came back with COVID, and the Omaramagal Passion Play, though it was beautiful, was 40 degrees with a breeze. But it was exactly what we needed when we needed. I ran into someone that went to OCU who's a lawyer, who's Catholic. I ran into a couple when we finally landed back here in Atlanta who had just come back from their um, honeymoon, had just been married in the Catholic Church. We talked about faith at Buffalo Wild Wings over a beer and burger. Actually, it was beer and wings, but... Every person we came into contact with was exactly where we needed to be and they were exactly where they needed to be to help us along that journey. When we truly seek to be virtuous people, we see in the craziness of life the mystery and the joy that resides in the truth of the gospel. I'm going to skip through some of this because I just... When we talk about virtues, we're really broken up into two different categories. The theological virtues and the cardinal virtues. Does anybody know what the theological virtues are? I've preached about them four times since I've been here, specifically. Faith, hope, love. So the next couple of classes we'll be getting back into what is virtue and then talking about faith, hope, and love. He goes through them in that order and here it works out perfect. And then once we get through those theological virtues, we'll go to the cardinal virtues, the hinge virtues of which all of the other virtues kind of hinge from, like a door hinge, like they help you pass on the way to those. So then we'll talk about the four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And we'll break through each and every one of those in at least one, if not two, classes and talk about not only what they mean, but how to practically live them out and how to go deeper in our faith and understanding and sharing them with each other. So that's kind of the beginning of our course um, for this year. There's more things we'll talk about again as we go. But as you know, I can go off on a 20-minute tangent on getting to Germany sometimes. But sometimes that helps us see the reality behind the theology. If you want the basics, pick up the book and read it. Because this is what I'm preaching from, teaching from, this year. But I think, just like with scriptures, we need those practical stories sometimes to help us put our finger and our toes on what it practically means. Because sometimes theology is difficult to, to, to understand. That's why Christ used parables to tell stories to break open the truth. He says, pray. But how am I supposed to pray? 
Like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No, but how am I supposed to pray? Like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How am I supposed to pray? Like this. <laughs> that we don't always get it the first, second, third, or 15 millionth time. That we as Christians and Catholics, when we receive the sacraments of initiation, gets us to the intro paragraph of our lives in faith. Not to the obituary at the back. That's not the name of it, but that's what I'm coming up with. <laughs> that's many times how we see our lives and how we treat it with our children. So again, there are nine families in here tonight that have kids down the hall. Now, some of you guys are grandparents, and you guys count too, but nine parents of families that are down the hall. Our goal next week, let's have 10. And then 11, and then 12, and then 13, and continue to grow one person, one family, one relationship at a time. Because it takes that personal connection with each other to continue to grow in seeking to understand who God is and who we are then because of our relationship with God. Now, yes, I say we have nine families here. We do have 17 of them down the hall as well. Thank you, catechists, who are hopefully watching this later in the week. They can't be here. In fact, we have many people that want to be in here but know that they need to be down there so that you can be in here. Remember that in the years to come. My hope is that by the time I leave here in 10, 15 years, that this class is so full that we can have you guys in here every two years and the teachers in there every two years so that we don't have the same teachers teaching for a decade 20 years. How many, just as a quick poll, how many of you guys have been catechists for at least five years that are in here? Keep your hands up. At least 10 years. At least 15 years. At least 20 years. 25? How many years do you guys do? No, behind you. Yeah. How many years were you a catechist? Okay, so... So at least 50 years for multiple of our catechists, 15 to 20 for many of our others. Thank you. I know you guys probably don't hear that enough. Thank you. For giving of your time, talent, and treasures, what you hold deepest, your faith, so that this church can be what it is today. The only way we are going to grow as a church is if we have more generations dedicated to the faith. It takes one family, one relationship, one person at a time. And so as we end our class, let us stand and end in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you created us each uniquely in your own image and likeness. Watch over these parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles of our faith community here at St. Matthew's and Queen of All Saints. We pray that we continue to bless them, bless their families, bless our catechists, bless our children. Watch over our faith community. Help us to continue to seek to be people of virtue always seeking to grow in knowledge and love and service of you and your church. 
We ask all these things through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Go get your kids. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.